0: In. Is to the eyes. Greatest and greatest wellness <laughs> trends experience
1: This is the well and Good podcast. Tune in to find the wellness that fits your frequency.
0: Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad free?
1: If you thought the work from the Summer of Racial Reckoning, also known as 2020, was done, well, you thought wrong. Jacqueline Yama, a designer, writer, and cultural worker, is continuing the necessary work and facilitating conversations that create space for communities of color to heal from racism and white supremacy. I'm director of podcast, Taylor Camille, and today we're diving into all of that and more with Jacqueline as we discuss her upcoming book, Racial Wellness— we talk about the origin story and explore why it's so necessary we have inclusive and comprehensive conversations about race, especially in the wellness space.
0: My name is Jacqueline Obochukuyama. I am a designer, a writer, a cultural worker, um, and my work centers on just sort of creating space for communities of color to heal um, from different systems of oppression, in particular racism and white supremacy.
1: Yeah, and I am very happy to be in conversation with you today as a consumer of your messages on social media and very happy that your book, Racial Wellness, is coming out. I ordered my book. I had to have this physical kind of (laughs) like... Um, piece of your mind, um, which I think is just so valuable. And I have found it honestly, truthfully, so helpful to help me just come to have a visual, to have words for all the things that I don't know how to express, but I feel them, I know they're real. And it's just been almost like a, a marker of, like, okay, I'm not alone. And so, so grateful for you and your work. And I, I wanted to know the origin story of this book, who it's for. And what you identified as missing in wellness conversations that you were like, I have to I have to make this. Absolutely.
0: So I guess a little bit about my background, I um, studied social welfare, which was sort of a mixture between sociology and psychology, at least at the school that I went to. Um, and so we were looking at a lot of the different ways in which different systems in society impact people's well-being holistically that's when I sort of start to think more deeply about, even though like I was having conversations about race, thinking more deeply about like, how is this actually impacting people? Like how is this traumatizing people? And I think what was also interesting is that like within the fields of psychology and like even social welfare, the dialogue around working with people of color doesn't really extend beyond this idea of like cultural competency. So it's just like, Mm
1: -hmm. oh, like as
0: a therapist or as a clinician or a practitioner, like you should be able to like work with like diverse groups of people, but it's not anti-racist. It's not decolonial. Um, And so there were a lot of issues with that. I worked for a bunch of different organizations um, doing anti-oppression work, but as someone who was always really passionate about like design, creativity, I... I felt like I wasn't able to like use like well just play in design, but also like use mm-hmm. design in ways that I thought were extremely powerful. I think that like art and design are an incredible way to sort of um, push for social change, and so I ended up studying design for my masters. and My thesis focused on like what does it look like to design spaces um, for people of color who are dealing with mental health um, issues mm. and it was during that time where I really started to get deeper into the research around racial trauma um, and really just sort of like understanding that, you know, clinicians are not taught about racial trauma and what it looks like. And that creates Mm -hmm. this gap in resources for Black, Indigenous and people of color who may be going to a therapist or caseworker or counselor or whatever it is to sort of process what they are experiencing mm-hmm. and also there's another layer where if you are meeting a, a counselor or a therapist who doesn't have lived experience or who hasn't done their own work around anti-racism you can end up experiencing like racial gaslighting or just like experiencing more racism and trauma in that more trauma
1: because, than, than right,
0: healing there's, yeah. like, there's a <laughs> lot of like and uh, yeah so it's it was just sort of like I was like okay I'm this is a conversation that really needs to be more public um a lot of it was happening in academia but that's not really accessible and so as someone who was like studying um user experience design and interaction design which focuses on like how can you how can you meet the needs of people um I really started to think about like, okay, let me start sort of speaking about these issues and like creating infographics and like using design to make this information accessible, um, in -hmm. the way that people feel like there's space being held for them. Um, and so as I was doing that, there were a lot of people that were resonating with it and like that made sense because those conversations weren't really happening, in larger society and so yeah that was sort of that's sort of what started all of this
1: yeah and so how would you describe what racial wellness is and why it's a necessary topic that we need to make room for and also maybe even some of the process of like how you started putting together all these thoughts into a cohesive book
0: Mm -hmm. yeah that's a good question um so racial wellness is essentially the the different practices either on individual interpersonal or institutional levels that we can weave into our lives to help us heal from racial trauma but also like resist find ways to resist racism um mm-hmm. and i think it's it's important and it's intentional in the sense that it it needs to be holistic um Mm -hmm. Oftentimes when we um, have conversations about like healing from racism or other systems of oppression, a lot of times there's like individual techniques. And then sometimes it's just more of like, okay, here are the institutional or structural things that we can do. But I Mm -hmm. think that like true healing from something that is systemic needs systemic solutions. Like we really need to honor the whole person um, and communities. Mm -hmm. And so that's what racial wellness is to me. Um, and then when it came to sort of putting the book together, there were definitely a lot of iterations <laughs> in terms of like how I, <laughs> in terms of like, what topics do I want to focus on? Because there's so much, um, there's so many different forms of racism. Right. Um, but as someone who like, I love trying to organize information in, in a way that I think um, is Easily digestible for folks. Um, It was important Mm -hmm. to sort of focus on like the ways in which racism impacts us emotionally, physically, spiritually, mentally. Um, And so the book is sort of divided into those categories so that um, it's easy for people to be like, okay, what do I want to focus on? Or like, how are these specific forms of racism impacting me? And able to sort of find the resources they need in relation to that. Um, So there's definitely a lot of like thought an organization that went into, um, I can tell. Yeah. (laughs) And that was, yeah, that was a process, but yeah. Um, I, I hope that it's, it's done in a way that like allows people to, to feel held. Um, and also to, Mm to feel like it isn't like to essentially like demystify, like what healing could look like.
1: Yep. Yep. I think he did a great job of that. And I was transported in just, I think these are, it's such a big task. It's so, you know, it's such a large topic. It's so nuanced. There's so many overt and covert ways in which racism confronts us day in, day out. And to survive, we repress and we try to keep going. And our ancestors are, you know, North Star of like, they dealt with more, like, I, surely I can endure this, and it's just—it's almost not fair to the spirit yeah. to to kind of like brush it under the rug. So grateful for yeah the the space for reflection and the space for also um, you so kindly do at the end of chapters of just like okay rest yeah <laughs> take it in what you just kind of like expunged absolutely <laughs> and before we just move on like let's be present in this because this is work. It's not just going to kind of happen all in in one sitting. So um, obviously intentional. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think that's super important. Also, like when we, when we have these conversations about, about liberation and healing is like, you need moments of pause for it to be sustainable. Um, (laughs) Like that it's just so necessary. Mm -hmm. And so I, I wanted to, to make sure that that was like infused into the process. Um, so thank you for seeing mm-hmm. that. and I'm glad that that resonated with you.
1: Yeah, because I think we, I mean, we're in these systems where it's like, okay, do the task, finish it, like yeah. done. And that's just not, um, that's not what this this um, healing process looks like at all. Yeah, you mentioned the pillars that it's broken down in, emotional, mental, physical, spiritual, and then the interconnected. And I think, um, yeah, each section really allows generous space for Exploration of the trauma, and even just in that in the first chapter, um, emotional, I think it was, and like immediately, like it was like racial apathy, and all of obviously in the season that we're in globally right now, I was like, Oh my goodness, like yeah. <laughs> Jacqueline, yeah. like this is the like syllabus for like <laughs> what we're experiencing, and I'm just like, I'm the student and um, I have words. I have language now to be like point to. And I think it's just going to be such a good resource for for so many. But I guess I wanted to dig into why, it might be obvious, but why it was really important for you to focus on these, these five pillars. Yeah.
0: When I first started delving into this work around like racial trauma and racial healing, um, a lot of the research focused on, okay, like racism impacts us physically. And so it was mostly mostly looking at like um, experiencing racism can cause high blood pressure and it can cause inflammation and all of these things, which is incredibly devastating. But as communities who have been dehumanized for centuries and, and also only just been viewed as like these physical bodies that like don't have emotions, don't have like spiritual needs, don't have um, mental needs. I wanted to push against that in the sense that like we are full beings, right? There's so many different parts of us and there's so many different ways that we can experience harm. Um, And so Mm -hmm. that was really why I wanted to like include the conversation about like how racism impacts our physical health, but also speak to all these other ways that it impacts us that I think are often not mm-hmm. amplified enough. Um, and I think mm-hmm. that in doing so, we are again sort of like pushing against this, this dehumanization that like we've experienced.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep, yeah, definitely.
0: Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills.
1: Another descriptor you use in the book is, and I've seen you or I've heard you talk about it before, is referring to racism as a multifaceted abuser. And Mm -hmm. I, I just wondered kind of like how you got to that descriptor and how it's helped you just better convey, you know, an understanding of the impact racism has.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's really interesting within like social welfare and like within psychology or just like the wellness sphere in general people have a really, for the most part, really good understanding of like what abuse looks like, at least like within romantic relationships or like within familial relationships. And like, there's this understanding Mm -hmm. that abuse can be um, financial, it can be physical, it can be emotional, it could be all these different things. And so what I'm really trying to do and, and what I do with this book and with my work is for people who already have an understanding of like what abuse can look like in those areas, also being able to like Mm -hmm. see the symmetry in like how abuse can impact people who are experiencing it due to racism, because racism does impact Mm -hmm. folks financially. And there's like so much inequity and it does impact people physically and emotionally and in all of these ways. And I think like being able to like reframe racism as abuse um, and reframe like being racist as being abusive really allows people to um think more deeply about the impact that it has on communities um and so that was that was very intentional um because I feel like oftentimes when we talk about racism like sometimes it feels like almost intangible to folks for some reason and like I'm, I'm really I'm trying to like Eliminate the cognitive dissonance. <laughs> like, I'm really trying to just, yeah. that, like, people get it and and uh, can get how harmful something like this can be, particularly if it's systemic yeah. and not just between people, but, like, between institutions and people. Um, so,
1: yeah. Yeah. No, I think you make really great points of it's almost unnecessary because if, if not describing it that way, it's almost as if it's, like, yeah, it's just, is it in the room or, like, is right. it here? <laughs> um, it just makes it almost like a mythical creature yeah. of sorts. Or it's yeah. like, no, this is a real thing. It's valid. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: And I think language is, yeah. like, so – language is so powerful. Like, language has Language
1: the, is very powerful.
0: It can disempower. It can empower. And so just, like, we, we need to get really clear on, like, the language and the frameworks that we're using to um, – describe and explain concepts.
1: Yeah. Something that came to mind as you said that was just before we started this recording, I came across, obviously everyone is taking sides this past two weeks. um, And I'm sure into the future, we'll we'll continue to see divide. But I had seen something that was like, your joy is not important. And I I was, like, gutted by that because – and then I was – I had, like, page back to your book, and it was, like, your joy is really valid, and it's very necessary in this healing also. Like, if you can find pleasure, if you can find levity in all of this heaviness, like, indulge. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, yeah I don't yeah. know, as you like were speaking, I was like, language is important. And I just felt like, who who are you to say someone else's joy is unimportant? Um, that might empower someone in another way. And of course, we're human beings and we have all these nuanced mm-hmm. feelings. And I think we can have joy and rage at yeah. the same time. Uh, it's just kind of the balance of being yeah. human.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think I think there's definitely a conversation to be had around like how joy can sustain Mm -hmm. us. Um, and how like joy is also a form of resistance. Um, and so I think like, yeah, I think like, as we do, as we do this work, like as we try to heal from systems of oppression, just sort of like recognizing that, like, there are so many, there's so many different things that healing can look like. Um, and, again like as you mentioned like because we are human and we because we have all these different emotions allowing ourselves to like lean in and tap into that is incredibly important yeah i feel like again these last two weeks have been it's been, it's been a lot. lot it's yeah it's been a lot yeah
1: yeah it obviously is like <laughs> i think for many black people and people of color it is hearkening back to 2020 and to black box summer and to like all the performative um, activism we saw. And I think that's also just another Mm -hmm. added thing is like, we don't know how we want to show up this time. And we're reassessing like the ways in which we did show up and what is serving us, um, whether that be publicly or kind of in our own or doing our own research and then, you know, sharing what we've learned. But I I remember the black box summer of 22, it's come, it's gone, but I'm like, there will always be a movement or something. And I I wondered how you hope this text will continue to kind of do the work to maintain the momentum necessary for healing and for discovery through so many of these, these moments.
0: Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, So you, you kind of mentioned, I think earlier on in this conversation, like this, text is like a syllabus. Yeah, it is. Like that's how I've been sort of like uh, also viewing it um, as like, yeah, like a syllabus, like a playbook to be able to understand like these very foundational and like repetitive strategies that are used by, you know, a white supremacist culture. And I think what's helpful about being able to map out these tactics is that, once you once you get the playbook and like once you get the tactics it's easy to see how it plays out in other situations (laughs) um Mm -hmm. whether that's yeah like you're it, it just makes it that much easier and so I I'm like I don't even know what the word would be but I'm just there's this like feeling I have within myself of like empowerment and like also excitement for people to be able to have this book because I think it'll really, really help people be able to like recognize these patterns and recognize these systems and these strategies and like push back against that. Um, and that's really what's needed is because like systems of oppression are manipulative, are they're manipulative, like for a reason they're manipulative so that we, Mm -hmm. um, are unaware of all of the ways in which they try to disempower us. And so being Mm -hmm. able to like open the blinds to that, I think is, is incredibly powerful.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just like thinking about that analogy, opening the blinds. Yeah, it's true. You do a lot of work. You do a lot of sharing. You do a lot of distilling and I just have to wonder how do you decompress how do you unplug from doing all this work and then remember to pour into yourself and reflect on your own emotional physical spiritual mental needs yeah
0: this what so yeah summer 2020 was a test for sure because it was like <laughs> I had been talking about like these issues and like doing work on these issues and then like suddenly there was like an influx of people who just like had all these thoughts. Some of them were like, Oh, this really resonates with me. And then there were also some people who were just trying to like push back against that, the the resistance and like the healing of communities of color. And I, Mm -hmm. I feel like that was what, like, I thought I knew about boundaries, but that was like really a test. I was like, it was like, let's see how good you are at actually sort of like fulfilling these boundaries. And so I think like, I really, really learned about like, not everything has to be an argument because to me like Mm -hmm. that is also a distraction that is also a deflection that is also a manipulation tactic sometimes you need to turn off your comments sometimes you just like don't need to engage with people who are you know trying to push against like human basic human rights like there are certain things that yeah yeah you (laughs) you don't need to like pour your energy into and it can be really hard yeah it can be really difficult but I've just learned, like, listen, whoever this message needs to reach, it will reach them. Yeah, You know, people can only meet you as far as they met themselves. And a lot of people have not done the work. Um, So there are a lot of boundaries that I set. But like even beyond that, like in my personal life, Mm -hmm. I kind of what you mentioned about joy, like I love to try to make space for play. Um, whether that's just like laying in the grass or like, you know, um, playing with my cat or whatever it may be. Like, (laughs) I am very intentional about just like infusing play into my life, um, infusing rest into my life. And it's not always easy to balance the things. And there's definitely moments where I'm like, you know what, even with all this, I'm still burnt out. Um, but yeah. That's also like the nature of, of, living, of living in an exploitive society is that like it's hard and, it, and it's hard on purpose. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think just like trying to do what I can do, whether that's journaling or being in nature or being playful, gathering with community is something that like really heals me as well. And so those are things that I try to do to sustain myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not always easy
1: yeah it is not no system. it's it's not but touching grass is very important percent. <laughs> <walks>, <laughs> with your cats are very very important things um yeah it is hard it is hard to step away it is hard especially when it's like we have so much access to each other but it's like okay yeah. how are we using this access intentionally and um yeah it is hard but I'm glad you're we we all try you <laughs> just try yeah trying our best. (laughs) Yeah. I guess the question I really wanted to end on, and uh, I don't know, it's kind of a big one, but I, I would be interested to know, um, kind of almost even in a dream world, dream reality, what, you know, your hope for wellness spaces, inclusive wellness spaces look like. And, I mean, not even like how we get there, but just like, yeah, what what in your mind's eye does like inclusive wellness spaces look like?
0: That is a tough question. But I think for me, it's being able to really center the needs of those that are systemically impacted by oppression and and being able to like really have an intersectional lens when we're thinking about wellness. I think that's what's missing. Mm -hmm. people are creating these spaces and they're not they're not thinking about like the intersections of identities and they're not really necessarily thinking beyond themselves and Mm -hmm. and so being able to like create a space where you're thinking about how different identities intersect like what what are the pain points what are the experiences that different people are having and like also like understanding how that impacts their well-being I think that is the key to to really being able to to create spaces that people feel like seen and feel held and feel like they can like truly heal um Mm -hmm. because to me without that without that sort of intersectional um framework in anything we do to be honest um I just don't think I don't think the solutions that we come out with are going to be truthful and and mm-hmm. inclusive. Um, so, yeah, that's what I would say. <laughs> and my, I really hope that, that we start to see more of that.
1: Yeah, yeah. There was even just like a piece in your book where you were like, this is not even wellness space, but the fact that people in power think that like white co-workers, white colleagues and like people of color colleagues need to attend the same kind of DEI training is absurd. Right. And it's just like little ways that our right. society has functioned even outside of wellness spaces. And it's like, get yeah. a clue. Like the needs are yes. different for um, these two parties of, of people. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I hope that there is more intentionality in our future. Absolutely. for sure,
0: Absolutely. And like that, what you just mentioned again, like, goes back to this idea of like racism as a form of abuse, because if you had two groups of people where someone was like the abuser or benefiting from the abuse in some way, and then another group is the group that is being abused, let's say it had nothing to do with the race, I feel like people would have like a pretty good understanding, like, oh, these people need different They'd things. <laughs> they would be shocked. They would be shocked,
1: yeah. They need to be in separate rooms. <laughs> they yes. need separate attention. Right? Yeah,
0: <laughs> Yeah. And so, wow. yeah, there's just, yeah, there's just like this, there's a huge gap in understanding. Um, And I, I, I hope we can begin to sort of reframe that.
1: Yeah, yep, absolutely. On today's show, you heard me in conversation with Jacqueline Ogurchuku-Iyama. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and share. This episode was produced by Taylor Camille and edited by our friends at Edit Audio. Our theme music was created by Madeline Lakomsky and Matt DiDomenico. Our show art was designed by Jenna Gibson and Karina Masonette.